And this morning we're going to talk about anger management, so maybe I should pray first. So, Your word says to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So we rejoice, Father, that you have created us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We have a creator. We're not floating through a purposeless universe. We rejoice. And Jesus, we rejoice when we had gone astray. You came and, and you saved us. Thank you. Holy Spirit, we rejoice that you've moved into us to make the Christian life possible. And Lord, we rejoice that because you've blessed us financially, we could, could be a part of, of spreading the gospel and making disciples around the, the world and pray for all of our church plants that as they meet today that the gospel would be preached and people would be one to you and disciples made. We're here today because we're a needy people and you know our needs, financial and health needs and relational needs. We need you. That's why we're here. Meet our needs. As we open up your word today, forgive the one who speaks for his sins are many. May your Holy Spirit fall fresh. May we see Jesus. May some come to know him for the first time. And Lord, for others of us, may we fall so in love with Jesus that as we leave, our lives are changed and we simply have to share you with others. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Anger management. Uh, we had an elder retreat this past week and I was coming back on Wednesday afternoon. I went to a subway uh, out by the interstate and when I got out of my car and I got up to the door, there was a sign on the door that said, please wear a mask. And I've seen a lot of different signs, wear a mask, you have to wear a mask, but it was the first time I saw, please wear a mask. You know what it did? It melted my heart. I, I, I couldn't go through because the person said, please. And, and I want you to know, I've got real anger issues. I don't like people telling me what to do, but it's really, it was such a game changer to say, what? Please. <laughs> um, it... Um, it was such, so what did I do? Well, I didn't have a mask, so I just skipped lunch that day. But, but I, couldn't, I, couldn't go through, I couldn't go through there. I couldn't do that. Um, uh, but I do have anger issues, and I want, you know, that's why I'm here. Uh, I, I'm here because I, I really need Jesus, and I want you to know only Jesus gets anger right. I, I don't have anger right. Do you? Uh, if I didn't have enough issues, did you know we're in election year? Did you know that? And if I don't have enough of my own issues, every time I drive down a road, people have campaign signs out in their yard. Have you noticed that? And there's something inside of me that gets really angry, and I see them, how could anybody vote for that person? And what I want to do is go in their yard, get their sign, tear it up, spin donuts in the yard, <laughs> and let them know what I really think. And then Jesus says, that's not a really good idea, you know. Pastor of Good News Church, arrested. <laughs> Anger issues, tearing property. Oh, you ever get angry? Isn't that why we're here today? Because we are angry people living in an angry world, aren't we? And we all need help, don't we? And that's why we're here. And what we're going to learn today is that only Jesus gets anger right. So before we get to Genesis, I want to take you to Ephesians 4. And before you get angry, I made a mistake, okay? In Ephesians 4, I know it should say verse 26. They got mad at me at the first service. I made a mistake, okay? But in Ephesians 4, verse 26, 
Notice what the Bible says. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, that anger is not always a negative emotion because the Bible actually says what? It says what? Be angry. But though anger, anger is a very, very powerful emotion, so the Bible says, handle it with care. Handle it with care. And it puts three cautions on there. It says, be angry. It says, but don't let it become sin. Don't hang on to it too long because it'll become bitterness and bitterness will wreck many lives. And then it says, and listen, don't stay bitter because then you provide the devil an opportunity. Um, so let's walk through that a little bit. You're a husband. Your wife says to you, you're a loser. How does that make you feel? You're what? Come on, you're angry, right? Because that hurts, doesn't it? And, and so that would be right to be angry, but the Bible says don't sin, but when you turn back and say, well, have you looked in the mirror? You let your anger, what, move you to sin. And that's what the Bible says. It says be angry, but listen, don't let it move you to sin. Don't hang on to it too long because bitterness is fertile soil for our enemy to deceive us and move us to do all kinds of terrible things. And so what we're going to explore today, we're going to look at a family that got anger all wrong. We're going to look at a family that got anger all wrong and see how destructive it can be. And then we're going to look at Jesus and see how only Jesus gets it right. And then we're going to see how Jesus can help us. And I love what someone said. Uh, someone said that the New Testament has teaching like this, but what the Old Testament is, the Old Testament is the picture book. It's the illustrations. It gives us all the illustrations we need to understand the teaching of the New Testament. <laughs> so this family, this family will be an illustration of what happens in families when families get anger wrong. I'm sure none of your families struggle with anger. But so we're going to turn to a Genesis 34, but on the way there, I'm going to stop with a map because some of you are new, and um, I want to show you this map. We've been spending some weeks getting to know Jacob. Jacob started out down in Beersheba in, in the bottom, and, and he went up to Haran seeking for a wife. Now he's got not just one wife, he's got, not two, he's got four wives, he, he's got four wives, he has 11 sons, and he has at, at least one daughter named Dinah. Uh, now notice they came down from Haran, and they crossed over the Jordan into the Promised Land to the city of Shechem. Don't be confused in this story, because Shechem is a city, but it's also one of the main characters of the story. So, so listen, don't get confused. There's a person named Shechem and there's a city. It's taking place in Shechem and Shechem will be one of the main characters. Now they've lived in the promised land upon returning a few years. So Dinah is probably about 12 to 16, okay? She's now 12 to 16. And we pick up the story, Genesis 34, verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob went out to visit the daughters of the land. So Dinah was the daughter of Leah and Jacob. Uh, now, ladies, can you imagine that? One 
daughter and 11 brothers. Wouldn't that be hard? And so it seems like that Dinah wanted some girl time. She wanted some time with the girls, and so she went into Shechem to have some girl time. When Shechem, the son of Hamar the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her and lay with her by force. Shechem raped Dinah. He was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and he spoke tenderly to her. Um, <clears throat> he, he loved her, he said nice things, and um, he found her attractive, but that is no excuse for rape. So Shechem spoke to his father, Haman, Haman saying, get me, Hamer, get me this young girl for a wife. Now notice Shechem has no what? There's no sense of I've done anything wrong, is there? there? There's no repentance. There's no I've really, really done something bad. He just goes to his dad and demands that his father get Dinah for him as a wife. Uh, probably in that culture, uh, if a man could take advantage of a wife, it was okay. So that's why he's not shocked, as we're shocked, that he just did something horrific. And we might say, well, why did he go to his father to say, get me this young girl for a wife? And because then, like in so many places today, marriages were arranged. Yes, parents arranged their children's marriage. And we say, that's just so strange. And it is. But let me ask you a question. How well does our plan work? How well is our plan of romantically seeking your spouse, how well is that working in our country? So we, we shouldn't make so much fun of how other people do it when, when we're not doing such a great job ourselves, are we? Now, Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Long before the Internet, somehow he heard that his daughter had been raped. But his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob kept silent until they came in. And I believe we're going to see that Jacob gets anger wrong, and it doesn't seem that he gets angry. He found out his daughter had been raped, and we don't see the anger that we would expect there because the Bible says what? Be angry, doesn't it? Where's his angry that his daughter has been raped? Um, then Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. Now the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, and the, men, and the men were grieved, and they were very angry. When his brothers heard, they had the right response, didn't they? For hearing that someone had been raped, they were angry, they were grieved, because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. He had done a disgraceful thing by raping their sister. Notice the word Israel. Israel is now not only a person, Jacob, but now a people. Now listen to the rest of this. For such a thing ought not to be done. See the word ought? Whenever you hear the word ought, you know what you always should ask? What is it? Says who? Says who? When someone says that something ought to be done, we should always ask the question, says who? Um, you know why rape is wrong? 
because God said so. Rape isn't wrong because it's against the law. Rape is wrong because God said so. Listen, we're Christians. We believe the Bible is God's word. We believe there's a creator and God made us and God gave us the gift of sex and God gave one simple rule with sex. Here it is. Sex belongs in marriage. One simple rule. Sex belongs in marriage to be enjoyed alone between a husband and wife. And that means that all sex outside of marriage is wrong. It's wrong for everyone, everywhere, all the time, especially when force is involved. And you say, Smiley, you're so judgmental. Listen, I didn't write the book. God didn't consult me. I'm a messenger. It's my messenger to communicate to you what the Word of God says. Ought? Yes, you ought not to rape. You know why? Because God says so. That's called a moral absolute. Uh, do you know, have you, have you noticed you don't hear about morality anymore? Have you noticed you don't hear about morals, you hear about values? Values, you know the difference? A moral, a moral, morality, a moral has to do with right and wrong. There's something that's right and something that's wrong. There's absolutes. Values uh, are, are about preferences. They're about things that are relative. It's kind of like, you know, I really like cookies and cream ice cream better than I like chocolate chip ice cream. That's a value. A moral absolute. Listen, that's, that's something that God has spoken, okay? And it's true for everyone, everywhere, all the time. So whenever you hear the word ought used today, always ask the question, what? What? Are you guys there? What? Says who? And if it's something that God says, it's something we ought to do or ought not to do, right? But Hamar spoke with them saying, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. Notice as well, Hamar doesn't come and say, my son is really messed up. Please forgive us for what we've done. There's no shame. There's no guilt. Uh, my son loves your, your daughter. Give her. Intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us, and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it, and acquire property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brother, If I have found favor in your sight, then I will give whatever you say to me. Ask me ever so much bridal payment and gift, and I will give according to you, as you say to me, but give me the girl in marriage. Now, now two things here. One is the Bible says what? And do not be conformed to this world. Isn't that what they're trying to do? Come on, come on, be like one of us, be like one of us, intermarry with us. And the Bible says, listen, don't be conformed to this world. Secondly, God makes marriage very, very simple. If you're a man, God says you can marry any woman in the world as long as she's a believer. And if you're a woman, God says it's really simple. You can marry anybody in the world that you want to as long as they're a believer, but don't marry outside the faith. And that's exactly what they were trying to get Jacob to do here. But Jacob's sons answered Shechem 
and his father Hamor with deceit because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. So they had anger, be angry, but don't sin. They would let their anger hang on to them, give the devil an opportunity, and would lead to sin. Listen to what they did. They said to him, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent to you if you will become like us, in that every male of you be circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will live with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. Listen, if you'll believe in our God, if you'll believe in our God and convert to the one true God and then receive the sign of God's covenant, that would be a good thing, but that's not what they wanted. What they wanted to do was to take God's sign of circumcision incapacitate them, and then murder all of them. Now, their words seemed reasonable to Hamer and Shechem, Hamer's son. The young man did not delay to do the thing because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now, he was more respected than all the household of his father. So Hamar and his son Shechem came to the gate of the city and spoke to the men of the city, saying, These men are friendly with us. Therefore, let them live in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them. Only on this condition will the men consent to live with us, to become one people, that every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will live with us. All who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamar and to his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all of who were, went out to the gate of, this, of the city. Now, you kind of understand, right, why Shechem was willing to get circumcised, because he thought that, uh, that Dinah was really good looking and he loved her, but how did he convince, how did he convince every male in the city to be circumcised and to go through that? What he said to them is, listen, they're rich. They're rich, and if we're willing to be circumcised, all their stuff will become our stuff. Um, so all the men were circumcised. Now it came about on the third day when they were in pain. You see, Simeon and Levi knew that when adults were circumcised, the most painful day was the third day. The day they would be most incapacitated would be the third day. When they were in pain, the two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. They murdered every man in the city. Know why you want to be careful with anger? Because even when you have a good reason to be angry, if you let it go on, you provide the devil an opportunity. And here we have believers in God who are murdering the people in a city because of their anger. They killed Hamar and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city and that which was in the field. And they captured and looted all their wealth. 
and all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. Wow, listen, they murdered and looted and kidnapped. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And my men, being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed, I and my father's household. But they said, should we treat our sister as a harlot? Wow. So they took the sign of God's covenant, and they used it to, to deceive people and, and to murder them, right? If you want to know what Ephesians 4 is talking about, why we need to be careful with anger, not to let it become sin, to go on too long, and to, uh, to give the devil an opportunity, here's the picture, right? Didn't this family get it all wrong, didn't he? I mean, didn't Jacob get anger wrong, didn't he? He got anger wrong in that he didn't get angry when he should have gotten angry because his daughter had been raped. <laughs> he seemed more concerned about their safety than he did about their daughter, didn't he? And then his brothers, I mean, they had a good reason to be angry, but they weren't careful with their anger, were they? And oh, that anger took over their hearts, and, and they became bitter, and, and they became uh, easily led astray by the devil, and they committed murder and looting and kidnapping. Um, listen, that's what it looks like to get anger wrong. What does it look like to get anger right? Let's look at Jesus. Let's go back to Ephesians 4, 26, okay? Now listen, this doesn't describe me or you, but it does describe Jesus, doesn't it? Be angry. Jesus would get angry and yet not sin. Jesus would get angry, but he would never sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. He didn't let anger go on too long. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He knew how powerful anger was, so he didn't give the devil an opportunity. When I study the life of Jesus and I see how he dealt with anger, what strikes me is that sometimes Jesus dealt with anger as the Lamb of God, right? Who takes away the sin of the world. But other times you see how Jesus dealt with anger and he responded to anger as the lion of Judah who roared. And so if you look a little closer, you'll see that when Jesus was wronged, and he was wronged, and when we're wronged, how do we respond? We respond what with? With anger. So when Jesus was betrayed, when he was deserted, when his back was whipped and he had done nothing wrong, when he was nailed to a cross, how do you think he responded? He responded with anger, didn't he? But how did he respond to that anger as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Because that was the loving thing to do. But when you look at Jesus in other situations where, uh, where someone is being mistreated or his father's name is at stake or... Um, then, or a matter of truth, and he responds as the Lion of Judah, doesn't he? Then I was reading this week of some religious leaders, they brought to Jesus a man whose hand was withered. Can you imagine how hard it would be that your hand didn't work? And they brought this man, they had no compassion on this man, they just wanted to see if Jesus would heal him on a Sabbath so they could condemn him. So Jesus says, is it lawful? Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath 
And these men hated Jesus so bad, they wouldn't even said, yes, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And so it says Jesus was angry. But how did he express that? He expressed it as the Lion of Judah. He healed the man's hand, even though he knew that that would be, uh, involve persecution for him. Or how about, how about when it was a matter of truth? Remember when Jesus told the disciples he was going to go to the cross, I'm going to go to the cross, die for your sins. Remember what Peter said? Remember Peter said, I'm not going to let you go to the cross. Never, 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 never will I let you go to the cross. And how did Jesus respond? Like a lamb, did he? He responded how like a lion, didn't he? What did he say? To he said, get behind me, Satan. Wow, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Because listen, if you had listened to Jesus or to Peter, we'd still be lost. Or what about when Jesus went into the temple and he saw in the temple that people were being ripped off what did he do? He responded as the Lion of Judah, didn't he? He overturned the tables. He took a whip and he whipped people and he drove them out of the temple. And what did he say? My father's house is to be a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a robber's den. Isn't it interesting? They had done the same thing that Jacob's sons had done, right? <laughs> Jacob's sons were meant to be a blessing to the nations but they dishonored God's name among the nations. And that's exactly what they were doing in the temple. So Jesus was the Lion of Judah, wasn't he? Uh, only Jesus gets anger right, knowing how to, to express his anger, whether he expresses it as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world or the Lion of Judah who roared. And, and that's why all of us need Jesus, isn't it? Matter of fact, that's the action step for this week. The action step for this week is I want you to let Jesus put anger in its right place. You can't put it in the right place, so you need Jesus in your life. You need to ask Jesus to put anger in, in its right place. So this week, I want you to let Jesus put anger in its right place. And you say, well, how do we do that? The first part of that is we need to believe in Jesus. We need to quit believing that we can do it ourselves. <laughs> and we need to surrender and say, Jesus, I need you to do it because I can't. Have you done that? You see, to believe in Jesus is to believe in the gospel. And, and the gospel says we're not going to fix our anger issue ourselves because we're the problem. Let me show you in, in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. We read, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Hear that? All of us have, got, all of us have gotten anger wrong. Some of us are like Jacob, we, we aren't angry when we should be, and some of us are like his sons, and we get angry and hang on to it too long, right? Each of us has turned to his own way. We've all gotten anger wrong. But I want you to understand what this verse is saying. We are not sinners because we get anger wrong. We get anger wrong because we're sinners. So important. We uh, are not sinners because we get anger wrong. We, are, uh, we get anger wrong because we're sinners, and that's why we'll never fix our problem ourselves because we're the problem. We're sinners. We can't. But because we're sinners, we've sinned against God over and over again. And the Bible says God is slow to anger, but God gets anger, angry. And God says what we deserve for our rebellion against him is his anger, his wrath, which is separation from God and from all good things. The bad news, 
We've sinned against God. We're in trouble. We can't fix ourselves. Here's the good news. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. God came to save us from ourselves and to save us from his wrath. God the Son put on flesh lived a perfect life, getting anger right, the only one who's ever gotten angry, anger right, and then he went to the cross. And here's what happened on the cross. Our just God put all of our sins on his son, and Jesus experienced the wrath of God so that we could experience the love of God. The cross shows us the, the, the justice of God, that sin will be punished. The cross shows us the love of God, that Jesus took our place, and he experienced the wrath of God so we could experience the love of God. Having paid in full the penalty for our sins, Jesus rose on the third day, and he offers us eternal life. You know what that means? He offers us forgiveness for our sins because we've sinned, but it also means he offers us the Holy Spirit so that we can overcome anger in ways we never could. Eternal life is the forgiveness of sins and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's the opportunity to, to do life with Jesus. It's the opportunity to do eternity with Jesus. And what does he require of us? Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What Jesus requires of us starts in our heart, where we believe, and then it moves out of our mouth. Believing and confessing Christ is as simple as ABC. It, it begins in our heart, and it moves to our lips when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And if you've never done that, won't you? It starts in our hearts, and it comes out of our lips when we confess, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. It starts in our hearts and comes out of our lips when we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus, you're my only hope. Forgive me. Give me eternal life. It starts in our hearts and comes out of our lips when we surrender. Jesus, I surrender today. You be Lord. From this day forward, as you give me strength, I will follow you. And if you never have, won't you? And if you have, if you have, I want you, not only are you cleansed, but you've been given the Holy Spirit so that you can do life and eternity with Jesus. And I want you to know that when Jesus moves in, he says, I'm Lord now, follow me. You just confess with your lips that I'm Lord, follow me. And, and Jesus says, if you'll follow me, I'll put anger in the right place in your life. Follow me and I'll put anger in the right place in your life. And so I want to share with you just a few ways that Jesus is working in my life to put anger in the right place. The first thing is that what helps me let Jesus put anger in the right place is to gaze at Jesus and glance at our circumstances. Gaze at Jesus and glance at our circumstances. The reason so many people are angry today is they're gazing at their circumstances rather than gazing at Jesus. Um especially the news. If you gaze at the news, you will be angry. There was a man in our church several years ago. I loved him, but man, he watched the news all the time, and he was so angry. And you know what he ended up doing? He ended up committing suicide. 
because the news wants to make you angry. Don't let someone else control your life. They want to make you angry and fearful because angry, fearful people are easily manipulated. Listen, the news wants to divide us. You watch one news station, it's those terrible Republicans. You watch another, no, it's those terrible Democrats. Listen, we need to take our eyes off our circumstances and off of the news and gaze at Jesus. And, and here's what happens to me. Listen to this verse, when I gaze at Jesus. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Who did Jesus come to seek and save? Who? Lost people, all people, right? When I look at the news, it divides people. When I look at Jesus, I see we have so much in common. Every day when I go out, I see people, and I have so much in common with them, don't you? Because when you look at Jesus, you see people different. You know, what we have in common, we're all made in God's image. Every person in our country, it doesn't matter what color they are, how old they are, we all are made in the image of God, right? We have that in common. Know what else we have in common? We all need Jesus. Everybody in our country, we're all sinners, aren't we? None of us have gotten anger, right? We have that in common. Know what we all have in common? We all need Jesus, right? You'll be amazed. When I find myself getting angry, what am I gazing at? I'm gazing at the news. I'm gazing at my circumstances. No, not, I take my eyes and I lift them up and gaze at Jesus. Isn't that why we're here today? Isn't it? Because we want to gaze at Jesus. Isn't, isn't that why we get up in the morning and gaze at Jesus? Because we are angry people living in an angry world, right? It's why as we're going through the day and we find ourselves angry, what are we looking at? Gaze at Jesus, glance at our circumstances. Second thing that I found really helpful is eliminate things that make you angry. Just eliminate the things in your life that make you angry. Well, what do you mean? In, in Luke, or Luke, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better to, for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to, be, to go into hell. Now, Jesus isn't teaching self-mutilation, but he is says if there's some area in our life that makes us angry, get rid of it. Uh, when I was in college, I was on the tennis team, and I was normally not a very angry person, but when I played tennis, oh, man, I couldn't control my anger. I would curse and scream and break rackets and throw them at people. And uh, when I finished college, I looked at my life and I thought, where in my life is anger out of control? And you know what was only in one place? You know what it was? It was my right hand that causes me to stumble. So know what I did? I just cut it off. And you know what happened? My anger went away. He also speaks here, what about if your eye causes you to stumble? Now, I want you to know, I'm not on social media, but I hear stories about you guys misbehaving online. Some of you need to get off. Some of you are lobbing hand grenades at people you love online. What's that accomplishing? You're just making them angry. Why are you doing that? Listen, if you can't be online without being angry, get off. 
Others of you are way too easily offended by what you read to be online. If reading what other people say makes you angry, Jesus says what? Get off! Now, if what makes you angry is your spouse (laughs) or your pastor, don't apply this, okay? (laughs) But if it's something you can, get rid of it. Why do we want to make ourselves angry? Listen, first of all, what helps me, gaze at Jesus, glance at our circumstances. Secondly, eliminate the things we can that make us angry. Third is to be on mission, to be on mission all the time. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So I want you to understand that there are lamb issues in our lives and lion issues. And I think you're smart enough to know that, okay? So follow with me. It's Wednesday. I'm going to the subway, and the sign says, please wear a mask. And Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And uh, so let me ask you, when a store says, please wear a mask, is that a lamb issue or a lion issue? What is it? It's a lamb, right? So why would I get upset there When it's a lamb issue, that's a time just to lay down my life, right? But when it's a gospel issue, when when the issue is the deity of Christ, when the issue is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, listen, is that a lamb issue or a lion issue? What is it? It's a lion, and then I need to have courage and speak up. If it deals with the authority of Scripture, that the Bible is God's Word, is that a lamb issue or a lion issue? Which is it? It's a lion. I should roar, right? If it's about the sacredness of human life, when I see a person and they're mistreated, it doesn't matter, listen, what race they are. People are made in the image of God. And if we see someone mistreated, is that a lion issue or a lamb issue? Which is it? It's a lion. We should... Be courageous and speak up, right? If we're talking about the sacredness of marriage, that marriage is the permanent union of a man and woman, listen, is that a lamb issue or a lion issue? It's a lion. One of the things that would help us with anger is when we find ourselves getting angry to ask the question, listen, is this a lamb issue or is this a lion issue? Being on mission, too. Listen, when we blow it, that's a great opportunity to be on mission. We were having an elder retreat this this week, and I find myself in this conversation, and I was getting emotionally involved. You ever feel when the emotions kick in? And this was one of those, I didn't completely blow it. I said, can can I have a moment? I'm getting emotionally involved here. Um, But there are many times when I blow it. And I want you to know when I blow it, that's probably the greatest opportunity I have to point people to Jesus because then I can say, you know what? I really blew it. I'm sorry. Know what we learned in church on Sunday? We learned that only Jesus gets anger right. I really need Jesus. How about you? Could you use some help with anger? Um, Listen, being on mission means when we blow it, listen, we don't blow it over and over again. That's our opportunity to point people to Jesus, isn't it? And listen, when I'm with someone, when I'm with someone and they lose it, 
I mean, I love to watch coaches lose it. I love to watch other people because you know what I say? Me too. That's so me. That's what I feel like doing, don't you? So when we're with someone this week and they lose it, step toward them and say, me too. I say, listen, I thought I was the only person with an anger issue. I'm glad there's other people with anger issues too. (laughs) Know what we learned about on church on Sunday? Only Jesus gets anger, right? (laughs) So listen, this week when you're with someone, and it'll happen, and they get angry, don't step away from them. Step toward them. When you say me too, you've made a friend for life because you're connected. You know what you have in common? Man, both of you need Jesus, don't you? And then you can share with them. Hey, listen, we learned in church on Sunday that only Jesus gets anger, right? No one needs Jesus more than I do. Could you use help? Do you think there's anyone you'll meet this week who might have some anger issues? Wouldn't they love to hear there's someone who could help them? Not you, but Jesus, right? Let's share that with someone this week, okay? Let's pray. Jesus, we are so glad you came into an angry world to save angry people. Thank you for getting anger right and dying on the cross for our sins and and rising and offering us eternal life. Thank you. And listen, you're never going to overcome anger on your own. And if you've never believed in Jesus, won't you take that first step? I mean, won't you believe in your heart and confess with your lips, Jesus, I've sinned against you and, and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Uh, If you've done that for the first time, won't you tell someone, won't you mark it on your card? We love to celebrate with you. Lord, I pray for those who've believed in you that we would remember that you've given us your spirit and that we would seek to follow you this week, Lord. Help us to gaze at you, not at the news, not at our circumstances, but at you, Jesus. And Lord, help us to just eliminate from our lives those things that we can that just make us so angry. Lord, help us to be on mission this week. When we find ourselves getting angry, help us just to ask, is this a lamb or a lion issue? Lord, when we really blow it this week, help us to admit it and to point others toward you. And Lord, when we're with people and when they really, really blow it, help us to step toward them and say, me too. Help us to point people to you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.